Hey everybody, it's Greg. Episodes of the QNT podcast were recorded between June and September 2022. All mentions of the Patreon are now obsolete as that channel no longer exists. The information, however, is still relevant and hopefully you find some value in it. Enjoy. Yo, 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 what's up, everybody? This is Greg Lunt, and welcome back to another episode of the Quant Podcast, which I'm realizing is not the right name because somebody called me out on the fact that the Quant Podcast should probably be reserved for the Quant team if and when they actually ever put out a podcast. That would be a fun day. But I think we should actually come up with a name for this show. So if you guys have any name suggestions right off the bat, Drop something in the comments, maybe on Telegram, and let's give this thing a real name. But for now, this is episode five. Today is August 2nd, 2022. And our guest today is a tremendous asset to the utility token community. He covers multiple projects across multiple channels, all while attending university. He's always made himself available to me to bounce ideas off of. And our conversation on his YouTube channel a few months ago was a ton of fun. Please welcome Tokenizer to the channel. What's up, my man? Hey man, it's awesome getting to talk with you again. I had a lot of fun last time when we were going over ODAP and network effects. So I'm really looking forward to see what we talk about today. Yeah, same. I think we had some really good chemistry and I appreciated the way that you conducted your interview. So hopefully I can return the favor. Your channel definitely brought me some awareness and so hopefully I can do the same for you. So the way that I like to do these podcasts is instead of just jumping straight into the meat of things, I kind of do a little bit of a lightning round to start off where I ask you some non-crypto questions that you know maybe you give a one-sentence answer to, and they're kind of random and fun just to help the audience get to know you a little bit better. Does that sound all right? Awesome. Let's do it. All right, cool. So first question is, do you have a morning routine? And if so, what is it? Does checking the crypto prices count? Absolutely. If that's what you do, that's what you do. All right. Uh, so yeah, I usually start off with that, then uh, head out for some breakfast, go for a little run, get started with a nice little tweet. Do you have a certain breakfast that you have every day or you kind of mix it up? I mix it up. If you had the opportunity to be immortal, would you take it? No, I, I don't think I'd take it. I think the cons outweigh the pros. Would you rather go back to the past and meet your ancestors or go to the future and meet your future children or grandchildren? Meet my future grandchildren. You can see pictures of your ancestors, potentially depending if cameras were around during that time, but you can't see the future. Would you rather have a mullet for a year or be bald for six months and you can't wear wigs? Be bald for six months. I don't think I could rock a mullet. How many hours do you get to the airport before a flight? Two. I want to say two on average. Would you rather talk like Yoda or breathe like Darth Vader? Breathe like Darth Vader. I feel like it'd be a bit more awkward saying sentences just completely fragmented. Yeah, fair enough. And then last question, do you believe in life on other planets? Absolutely. I think it's a little bit silly to think we're the only living species in the entire galaxy. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Okay, cool. Well, thanks for answering those. I even learned a little bit about how you think. So a little bit more to the point, I'm very curious. I've always wondered... How did you come up with the name Tokenizer? Uh, so I was actually going to take Tokenizer. So T-O-K-E-N-I-Z-E-R. 
but uh, that was taken. And so I didn't really know what to do. So I was like, okay, well, I guess I could swap the Z for a C and wasn't taken. So here we are. Well, it works out. You're a pretty nice guy. Oh, thank you. People probably still call you tokenizer anyway and just pronounce it with the Z, right? It's a mix. I get token. I get tokenizer. I get tokenizer. Uh, I feel like token has stuck uh, pretty well. Would you ever dox yourself one day? That's actually coming uh, tomorrow. I'm doing a little face reveal on Terra Moon Ventures. So I host two weekly shows there. And uh, the one we're doing tomorrow is focused on macro and technical analysis. Interesting. Okay. Well, are you giving your first name away as well or just your face? I think just my face for now. I think the name will eventually come in due time. Do you feel like that is a release of any kind that, that you're getting to do that? Or what are, what are you feeling about that? It's definitely a little bit exciting. I think um, throughout the past eight or nine months I've been doing this, I've had a bit of a hard time tying in who I am outside of being tokenizer to being tokenizer. And I feel like maybe a docs reveal might help with that a little better. It's It sometimes feels like I'm living two lives at once sometimes. I totally feel that. Maybe we can break down that wall a little bit. And I'd love for you to give a little bit of background on yourself. If you want to just tell us kind of maybe where you grew up and you know how you think about you know your school and your work and, and maybe how you found crypto and how you found quant. Yeah, for sure. So I'm currently 21 years old. I'm going into my third year of college this coming September. And I'm in school for economics and finance. I've had a bit of a weird path throughout my college life. I started out in general businesses. I wasn't too big of a fan of that. So I switched over into kinesiology. And I'd always been a fan of sports and everything with uh, micro movements and mechanics. But then the pandemic hit and we had the year off school. And I really took finances and just investing really seriously for that year. And eventually I was like, okay, you know what? I'm really passionate about kinesiology, but I really think there's a path for me in economics and finance. And I found everything I was learning in class, I was able to tie directly into whatever I was doing with crypto at the time. Mind you, this was before tokenizer was a concept. I realized my macroeconomics teacher was very bearish on fiat overall. So I was like, okay, well, I think I know a great solution to that, Bitcoin. So I was writing some papers basically about what Bitcoin was and the value proposition of it, of digital gold and an alternative form of money. So she found that pretty interesting. And I presented a, I think, 10-page document to her. And she seemed pretty orange-pilled. Then fast forward a little bit, I started writing about other projects like Quant, Constellation, LCX. And these were also shown to my professor, but I think that was a little bit too far in terms of the tech for them to really understand it thoroughly. So I kind of thought like, okay, well, I don't really want to just put these articles to waste. I'm going to try publishing them somewhere because I think people would find this information valuable. And so eventually that led to me starting up a whole profile. Well, it started with a Medium account. It expanded out to YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and here we are today. So I'm curious now like that you've started your channel or multiple channels. You have a lot going on in your life. And you know, like I said in the introduction, you cover multiple projects. You listed a few of them. You have multiple channels that you put content out on and you have all your schoolwork. What is 
your time and energy division? How do you deal with all of that and all the different things that you have to do? Oh man, sleep is definitely cut out a little. Start off with that. In terms of balancing time together, pretty much all I do nowadays is either work on content or I'm out at the gym or at the park shooting some hoops. So I'd say it's not terrible uh, time management wise, especially because I'd say 99% of what I do in terms of creating content is something I really enjoy doing. Okay, well, that sounds like you have a pretty healthy lifestyle. It's exercise, it's work, and it's sleep. And that's, you know, that's what you have to do, I think, as a man, especially in this age, when we have so much opportunity with the internet and what it provides us as far as you know, you could say entrepreneurship, but just, you know, trying to figure out ways to create value online that will eventually lead to some sort of monetary reward. And if you don't put in the time at this stage, you're going to find yourself way behind the eight ball later. So I admire the priorities that you've set for yourself, even at such a young age. I want to talk a little bit about quant because that is what we talk about here on this channel. And there's been a lot going on with Quant, as you well know, over the past few weeks. Just a couple things that have been dropping. QNT wallets have gone over 62,000. Oracle posted Quant to their main Twitter and their LinkedIn. At the same time, they've partnered with Microsoft to merge their clouds in some respect. Nexi also partnered with Microsoft. Gilbert obviously came to the Telegram channel and confirmed QNT utility. Lackchain was doing some test runs on digital bonds in Spain. So a lot of things circling around quant over the last couple of weeks. I'm curious, did any of these news events stick out to you? And if so, which one? I think anything revolving around Lackchain always kind of sticks out to me. I really like keeping up with uh, what that ecosystem is building. I think um, out of a lot of different distributed ledger networks out there, Lackchain is really one of the most exciting ones. But I think the one I was most intrigued by is Gilbert coming in, confirming utility of the QNT token. Because like at the end of the day, that essentially benefits all of us, right? Yeah, I mean, I definitely have my thoughts around that situation. I don't know if you were keeping up with kind of the whole drama. But yeah, I think that ultimately, I love the fact that we have the QNT token reestablished in its utility. And on top of that, I don't know if you saw the developer community manager or developer relations manager, I guess they're calling it, job listing. Did you see that? I did. I, I saw that uh, the other day. I think Son posted that. Yeah. So that's pretty exciting. It's obviously not like a community manager per se, but I think it's the closest that we can expect, especially with the lack of regulation when it comes to you know dealing with the community and acknowledging the token as like some sort of investment vehicle. I don't think that's necessarily the smartest move for the business to do. So right now they're saying, hey, there is a gap. Look at this situation that just happened where there was this obvious miscommunication around the token. We need somebody in place that can act as a liaison between the company and the development side of the community and what they're trying to build and what they're trying to understand. Those two things kind of rolled into one. Does that job make sense to you? Like, Do you think that that will give us an opportunity to kind of learn more about the company? Assuming they do the job right, it'd give us a lot more clarity on overall the operations of quant, possibly the QNT token. As you mentioned, it might be a bit of a gray area to discuss that at the moment. But I do think that's a really big benefit for the quant community overall, because a big complaint about quant that I've noticed is there's a lack of team to community communication. 
Yeah, you can say that again. I agree. I think that Gilbert coming in was just great. And now having this role to establish some sort of communication, we need an open line. And that kind of brings me to my next question about Gilbert Veridian. And I know that you just did a great deep dive on your YouTube. I think you put it up on Spotify as well, where you went deep into Gilbert Veridian, his past and what he brings to the table. Did you learn anything that you didn't know before you sat down to do that research? I'd say a large majority of everything I already knew. It was uh, more so tying the pieces together. Um, One thing that really stuck out with me was Gilbert being a part of the EU Blockchain Observatory Forum. That's part of the European Commission. And are you aware of the MICA bill that's being talked around in the EU? No, tell me about it. So that is, that's uh, MICA, M-I-C-A, that stands for Markets and Crypto Assets. And that's pretty much the big bill around the EU that's going on to regulate the crypto markets. I did see that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, that draft initially came out in August of 2020. And Gilbert's position in the EU observatory forum was blockchain policy and framework conditions, which is exactly what MICA is working to regulate. And in that bill, there's three mentions of quant connections, that being LCX, London Stock Exchange, and uh, SDX, Swiss Digital Exchange. So while there's no official leads to it, I think it could be possible that Gilbert had some part in drafting up that bill. It really is amazing how intertwined he is or quant potentially is in just so many things. And we say it all the time, but just how far ahead this guy really was in terms of understanding what was about to happen and still what is about to happen. You know, we think that we're kind of caught up now, but it's like, imagine what's going through his brain now. If, if, you know, six years ago, he knew where we were today, what he's thinking about right now, like what they're actually building that they can't talk about, you know? Oh, absolutely. And I think uh, the one thing that really stands out with uh, Gilbert and the overall vision for Quant to me is that unlike a lot of other protocols that are built out there, and this isn't to talk down on any of them, but a lot of them decided to build out that said protocol because there were flaws within pre-existing protocol, whether that be Ethereum or Bitcoin or something else. Quant did this a completely different way. They didn't build it because of crypto, right? I mean, Gilbert had this whole vision during his time in New Southern Wales. Yeah, he was working for the Australian government, essentially building a system to help healthcare data flow across networks. And the way that it's told is that ISO basically approached him and said, hey, can we make this a standard? Or at least that's how Gilbert tells it. And that's how ISO TC307 was formed. And then Quant came after that as an expression of this technology that you know connects different networks to transfer data. So this idea of starting a crypto network to be the next decentralized smart contract platform or whatever, where there's just copycats and the same things over and over with little tweaks. And it's like, this is a whole different approach. It's not crypto, it's data. It's not a single use case, it's everything. It's not one network, it's connecting all the networks It's not off the grid decentralized. It's bringing together through regulation and a form of centralization that is probably inevitable anyway. So agree, this is a totally different approach than any other project. And you mentioned that one of the projects that you cover outside of Quant is Constellation. And 
that is a partner of Quan, or at least they were at one point. I think there's always been a lot of questions, at least in the last few months that I've seen around like, are they still partners? What are they doing together? Would you mind giving us just like a few sentences on what Constellation is? The ticker is DAG, DAG. What is that project? And how do you see them overlapping with Quant? Yeah, so um, DAG, Constellation Network, they operate as similar to a smart contract, layer one, but they say they are a layer zero, so below the blockchain layer. And essentially what they do is they break every message and transaction within their network down as data because fundamentally that's what everything really is on like on chain, right? They're really focused on IoT and machine learning. And what's really interesting about them is that they've kind of scrapped the whole idea of smart contracts because the current state of smart contracts is really focused on if X happens, then let Y happen. And state channels essentially give it a much more robust definition of what each contract could do. And essentially, it lets you build your own microprocessing and microtransactional business on their network. Now, where the synergy with Quant comes in, as you mentioned, some people have been asking about it for the past couple months. This is similar to a lot of Quant's other crypto-to-crypto partnerships. So like Alliance Block, Unison, LCX. They've previously announced this, but there's been little to no further announcement of that. I think a large reason for that is because these projects are all building out their own respective protocols. And I'd say most of these are working to not only be regulated, but build something actually innovative. So it could just be that each respective project is looking to kind of build out the infrastructure and foundation for their networks before uh, continuing and executing out these partnership goals. Yeah, maybe it's just like, hey, our leadership respects your leadership. We think that, you know, the partnerships that you're establishing early on are promising because I know like Constellation's working with the Department of Defense, right? And and a couple of other military focused projects. Is that right? Yeah, the Department of Defense actually is just an umbrella for all of the defense agencies under there. But there are a couple of private sector military grade data companies that they are collaborating with. Yeah, so maybe Quant looks at something like that. They see, you know, LCX working with all these different regulatory bodies in Liechtenstein, but none of the technology is really there to actually release anything that means anything because we're just so early. It just comes back to the we're so early thing. So maybe these partnerships are just kind of like a hat tip, like, hey, let's keep each other in the loop. You know, if we need to connect on a regular basis, let's look at each other's code, let's share ideas. And then as far as actually releasing kind of, you know, joint products and things, we're just maybe a little too early for that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think we have to keep in mind many, like just about every one of these protocols are five years old or less. Yeah. We say we're so early as kind of a turn of phrase, but really it's incredibly accurate. And we still have years to go before this stuff really hits any sort of mainstream level. You have to keep in mind the scope of adoption. And if you look at the total number of users on the internet versus the total number of users within crypto or Web3, whatever you want to call it, we've still got a long way to go. A long way to go. And that brings me into a question that I got from one of the patrons, Quantalicious. And he wanted to know from you, what is your vision of the fourth industrial revolution? Because you look at a lot of these utility projects. We are so early Can you project five, 10 years out? What do you see this technology bringing to the world? 
Yeah, okay. So um, I'd say that technology will really be mass used in every industry much more than it is today. I think automation is going to be a very big factor within the fourth industrial revolution. I think a lot of jobs will likely be replaced because of that. Maybe that sounds a bit unfortunate, but I mean, we've kind of seen this with every single revolution. And then this is the internet of value, right? So I think the idea of sending true economic value anywhere in the world that will be really interesting to see that pretty much happening at scale. As for utilization, I think data will become much more used than it is today. It's the fastest growing asset we have in the world, but I think there's a lot more use cases to how we can use that data and uh, what that data can define as. Do you think that users will be able to control their own data to have those use cases or what do you mean by that? I think users will get to take ownership of their own data. So like digital IDs is something that is largely being talked about, right? And then healthcare data, which is another really big one. I agree. I think those are a lot of the main points that we continue to think about as kind of these next steps, which is the digital ID, the healthcare data. The, I think advertising data is also another one, right? If you look at kind of what Brave Browser is doing, and I'm sure like other people are doing it as well with the basic attention token. And I'm not pimping that coin as much as just, you know, the idea that restructuring the advertising landscape where it's not just blasting you with ads and pissing you off and trying to, you know, advertisers trying to force things on you. It's more like I'm going to choose how to spend my time. And if I decide to watch ads, I will get rewarded for them. And then it becomes just like a more organic ecosystem, things of that nature. And you mentioned automation, which of course is one of the biggest opportunities, but also one of the scariest, especially when you combine it with AI. And then you think about, you know, if you want to get real dark with it, just kind of, you know, what might happen with if there's war, if there's famine, and then if they change like police to be robots and just the world becomes a lot more cold almost through that automation. But, you know, we try to look at it, I suppose, the best way we can, which is, hey, you know, if this stuff is going to happen, how can we put ourselves in the best position to survive and thrive? And, Right now, it's these utility tokens, and it's trying to find the networks that will actually have value in however the system manifests itself, even if it's maybe something that isn't super attractive, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And like, that's kind of the whole game of investing, right? Like, a lot of these projects, they kind of go against, I guess, what the usual person would define as morally right or not. Like, we can talk about CBDCs. That's something that uh, is very highly controversial. And most of mainstream retail has stated their reasons on why uh, they're against the idea, even though a lot of that may not be factually based in the game of investing there's no emotions right yeah i think that there's definitely some truth to that and i think it's to each their own you know it's like what level of morality do you want to assign to an investment and we don't know exactly how this stuff's going to turn out i mean in my opinion quant is a lot bigger than just cbdc's but also it's heavily involved in cbdc's and perhaps that's one of the preliminary use cases at, at least from a mainstream perspective so yeah that you know the downside of cbdc's are real when it comes to being able to control the flow of money and limit your spending and watch you and what you're doing but look we decided as a society that we gave up privacy a long time ago the same people 
that are complaining about privacy still carry around a tracking device every day with their cell phone. And so we've traded convenience for privacy a long time ago. We kind of crossed that bridge. And now we are all, in some respect, a cyborg because we're kind of, this is attached to us, this this little phone device. Um, we will not let it go. And then that will probably end up getting plugged directly into our body in some way, whether that's Neuralink and Elon Musk plugging into your brain, or if it's some like little thing, you know, a little chip that you put in or whatever it's going to be, and we'll be off to the races. So, you know, it should be an interesting next couple of decades and we're just going to have to do our best. And hopefully these investments that we're making now and trying to separate that morality from actuality and you know, putting ourselves in a position to benefit and to profit will give us opportunities to stay as free as possible for as long as we can. Something I really like what you said there was that we gave up our privacy years ago to um, Google, essentially, right? I think that's a point that a lot of people overlook when they talk about privacy. And like back to CBDCs, even when people talk about how uh, there is going to be that control to freeze your accounts, to limit your spending, to monitor what you're spending on. Well, I'd argue that can already be done. Like if we look back to the convoy that happened in Canada here uh, just a couple months back, I mean, did you hear about how the... Uh, Prime Minister was pretty much saying anyone who was seen involved with supporting these events could have their bank accounts frozen. Yeah, they did freeze a bunch of bank accounts, didn't they? They did, yeah. So like that, that already goes to show like they already have that level of control to a certain extent. Yeah, to me, you know, I had some arguments with my friends who, I don't know, they just think I'm like an alarmist and a conspiracy theorist sometimes. And I think a lot of people that are listening to this can probably relate to that as most crypto people think outside the box a little bit, which forces you to ask some questions that maybe make your normie friends uncomfortable. And that's kind of what happened with the Canada banking situation in particular. I got a bunch of pushback on that. Who knows what's in the future, man? I just look at life as a game that we're playing and we should be grateful that we have the opportunity to, to lace them up and get out here and play the game. You know, you make the most of it. You make you have the most fun with it. And I think we're we're having some fun out here studying these coins and being on the cusp of an interesting future. No, for sure, man. Like regardless of what happens, the world is going to keep spinning and we're going to have to keep living and going through our lives, right? 100%. So I think that's a perfect place to wrap up. I'd love for you to tell the people where they can find you on social media or support your work. All right. Uh, yeah, you guys can check me out on tokenizer.network. I have pretty much all my content platforms plugged in there. So Twitter, YouTube, Medium, Spotify, and some of my other highlights of my content there, like the interview I previously had with Greg, where we talked about ODAP. You guys can find that right at tokenizer.network. Awesome. Tokenizer.network. That will be in the comments below on Patreon, you guys. And Token, I wish you a lot of luck tomorrow doing the face reveal. That sounds like a blast and I'm sure it'll go great. I can't wait to see what you look like, I guess. Um, and I really appreciate you coming on the channel and hopefully we can do this again soon. Thank you, man. Yeah, I'm sure this won't be the last time we speak. There you go. Episode five in the books. Always enjoy chopping it up with Token. Like I said in the episode, I really admire his work ethic and what he's building at just 21 years old. Really impressive, really inspiring. Make sure you check out his content at tokenizer.network. And also, I just saw he posted his face reveal. So go to his Twitter at tokenizer and take a peek if you're interested. It's a pretty good looking kid, I'm not going to lie. That's going to do it for this week. 
Drop a comment on Patreon or Telegram if you learned anything from this episode. And also, help me out with a name for the podcast. I think it would be good if we came up with something together. So let me know any ideas you have. And I will see you on Monday in the weekly video. Peace out.